My name is Eddie Colson, an elder at Grace Bible Church, and thank you for joining us today for our worship service. The elders want you to know that we love and miss you. We are so looking forward to the time where we can come together again in corporate worship all together. But until that time, we're enjoying what we're able to do right now in worshiping with you. The staff at Grace Bible Church is doing a fantastic job of keeping the ministries of grace alive. Even while the organization has been disrupted, the ministries move forward. There are a couple of things I want you to know on a very practical matter, and that is that Grace Bible Church is very healthy financially. Uh, Because of the good planning of lots of people over the years, we have uh, what we, we need to take care of ourselves financially. I also want to encourage you, just as Paul encouraged the Corinthians, to give as they are able. We want, you, we want to encourage you to give as you are able to Grace Bible Church. And while our lives have been disrupted, please know that the ministries of Grace Bible Church move forward and the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to move forward. And while it may look a little differently, the result we hope is the same, that people come to know and bend their knee to Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for today that we can worship you. It may look different, but we can worship you. Thank you that Grace Bible Church is strong, and we pray that you would just keep us strong, that you would keep us united, that you would keep moving the gospel of Jesus Christ forward through the work that you're doing through our church. We love you. We praise your name, and we're so thankful that you love us and that Jesus Christ came because of your grace for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Eddie, thanks for praying for us. Uh, Whenever I think about prayer, of course, my mind first goes to uh, the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I've said the Lord's Prayer for many, many years since I was a a child. I learned the Lord's Prayer. When I was in high school, uh, we used to say the Lord's Prayer a lot for our soccer games, our coach always wanted us to start with a prayer, which in his mind just meant the Lord's Prayer. So he would select a student to one of the, one of the players to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So we'd all huddle up and he'd say, Elliot, lead us in prayer. And Elliot would start the Lord's Prayer. He'd say, our father, right? And then we'd all jump in and we'd go, our father who art in heaven, right? And pretty soon all the players are jumping in, our father who art in heaven. And after we'd said a line or two, it'd go like this, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come like, ah, we go crazy, right? And we go, kill him, let's win the game. And, you know, and I remember thinking at one point, because I was just starting to walk with the Lord, I thought, I'm not sure that's what Jesus actually had in mind when he said, I want you to follow this pattern of prayer. In fact, he said, when you pray, don't use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles, which seemed to me that's kind of what we were doing. Uh, what he was doing with the Lord's Prayer was actually laying out uh, priorities and revealing something of who God the Father is and who we are in relationship to the Father. So what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to actually say the Lord's Prayer together, not in meaningless repetition, but I want you to actually think about each and every word as we say this together. From Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or the words will be on the screen sitting in front of your computer or in your living room. I want us to say the Lord's Prayer together. Jesus said, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, that is what we pray this morning. We know that although we are overwhelmed, you are not overwhelmed. We know that in these times in which we often don't know what to do, you know exactly what to do as we just say. There's no fear of ours that is out of your control. There's no moment in which you're not on the throne. And so we praise you that you reign. You reign now and we know that you reign forever. 
Father, as we study your word this morning, what we ask is that the reality of your power, as well as your goodness and your love for us, would become clearer and clearer. Father, we pray that you would open up our minds, that we would understand what you want to say to us. Take away confusion, take away distraction, so that we can focus. Lord, we ask that you soften our hearts, take away our rebellious attitudes, and replace them instead with submission to you. Take away our fear and instead give us boldness and courage even in fearful times. And then we ask that you would empower our hands and our feet and our lips for your service as we prepare to go into the world that needs the good news of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray all of these things. Amen. When our oldest daughter was a toddler, I'm sure this is the case with many of you who have young kids, she, as she was learning to talk, developed sort of her own little language. Uh, It was a language that most people couldn't understand, but that we learned how to understand over time. And so I remember distinctly one word that she said all the time was this word, Hana. Uh, when we were out and about around town, she would suddenly start pointing and she would go, Hannah, 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 just over and over and over again. And we could never figure out what does this word mean? What does the word Hannah mean? Well, over time, the word Hannah developed into Strunna. And we began to notice that she only said that word when there was another baby in a stroller nearby. We finally figured out the word Hannah was stroller. Uh, She had other interesting ways of saying words. Uh, She had the syllable pa that would double for multiple words. So if she said pa, that could mean please, it could mean pass, it could mean pair, it could mean pray, it could mean a variety of things. She did the same thing with the word ma. More uh, was the word ma. She had a couple of words like that uh, for mama uh, and then also mine. So if we were sitting at the table with friends, Elizabeth might say something like this, pa, ma, pa, pa, and uh, everybody else at the table would say, what does she mean? But we would say, she's asking you to pass more pairs, please. And uh, people would say, how did you know that? Well, the only way that we knew that was by listening to her carefully over time. Even though her language was awkward, even though the way that she said those things wasn't perfect, we, as her parents, we wanted to understand her, and we wanted to fulfill her requests. So we paid attention to what she was saying and learned her language. I think about that story when I begin to think about the topic of prayer, because a lot of us, when it comes to prayer, we feel like toddlers. We feel like we're the ones trying to speak a language that we don't really understand. And so we come before an infinitely wise and powerful God and we try to speak, but often we struggle with the language. We struggle with the disconnect we often feel between us and God. As we read the scripture, though, we, we get the sense that God is, he is a good parent, and so he wants to hear us. He wants to understand. He wants to know what it is that we're saying. And so God goes to great lengths to understand us, to listen to us, to communicate that he hears us. And it may be that in a, a national and international crisis like we're facing right now, you wonder, is God listening? You might especially feel like a toddler as you try to communicate with God and you say, these are the things that I want to happen in the world, in my family, in my life. I'm praying for health. I'm praying for safety. I'm praying for financial provision. I'm praying for all these things. And yet all around me is chaos. And God, how do I understand the language well enough to communicate to you the depth of what I'm feeling and the desires that we have? And yet again, as we listen to the voice of Jesus in the scripture, we see him saying to us, to his people, trust me, God's listening. Trust me, God sees you. Even now, God sees you. Trust me, God loves you in a way that's greater than you can imagine. One of the things that Jesus said to his disciples over and over and over again was, was ask anything. In the name of Jesus. And the Father listens. And the Father will grant your requests. We're going to look at a passage like that this morning. In the upper room discourse. And if you remember as we've, as we've 
been in the upper room discourse. This is the, kind of the final speech that Jesus gives to his 12 disciples before he goes to the cross. And there's a section of the upper room discourse in which Jesus talks to them about how they can approach the Father in prayer. Because Jesus is about to leave, remember. And they're stressed out. And so a lot of the upper room discourse is just Jesus saying, hey guys, I am going to leave. You're not going to see me for a while. You are going to see me again. But in the meanwhile, this is what it looks like for you to know God and communicate with him. For you to have your requests brought before him in a way that he'll answer. I want to read a little bit of John chapter 16. That's going to be our main passage for the morning. If you've got your Bible, John 16, starting in verse 16. It'll be up here on the screen as well. John 16, 16 to 24. Jesus said to his disciples, a little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the father. So they were saying, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I, see you, I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. So Jesus talks to his disciples And he says to them again, guys, I'm about to go away. But he says, I'm going to go away for a little while. You're not going to see me. And then you are going to see me again. What's he talking about? He's talking about the day of his resurrection. And he says, I'm going to go. You won't see me. Then you're going to see me again. And he says, when you see me again, you're going to have a depth of joy that nothing else can take away. No enemy, not the devil, not death, not sin. Nothing can take that away because Jesus will have conquered all of those Enemies, that's the good news of the gospel. What is Jesus telling them? That even though he's about to die, there will be a promise from God of eternal life, of a time when we will be with God forever and nothing can take that joy away if you believed in Jesus. So Jesus essentially tells them the really good news, the gospel right up front, that the day is coming when you will know that you have life forever and uninterrupted fellowship with God the Father. But he's also going to tell them, hey, when I go away, you can now bring your request, those things that are on your heart, those things that are on your mind, those things that you want God to do. You can bring them straight to God the Father. What's he getting at? He is saying, I am going to remove the barrier that stands between you and God. I'm going to take it away. So you don't anymore need a mediator between you and the Father other than Jesus Christ, who will be at the right hand of the Father. But he says, you can go straight to the Father because I'm going to take away that barrier. And so Jesus, had he just given us eternal life, had, had, he, had all he had given us was eternal life, say Jesus dies, he rises again, he gives us eternal life, that would have been more than we deserved. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you even more. While you're waiting for that day, when I will return and take you with me to be with the Father. While you're waiting for that day, Jesus is going to tell them even in just another chapter or two, I'm going to send the Spirit of God who will live in you and among you and empower you to know God and to talk to God because the barrier of sin is taken away. And so Jesus says, because of that, anything you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. Now I know as I say that statement already, there's probably an objection bouncing around in your head that is bouncing around in my head as well every time I read a passage, which is, then why is it that I don't get everything that I ask for? I pray for things sometimes and God doesn't give it to me. Why is that? I want you to press pause on that for just a minute because we're going to come back to that a little bit later. 
Because what I want us to do for just a minute before we dive into the rest of the sermon is simply this. I want us to take a minute and really focus on how amazingly good it is that God has allowed us to bring our request to him. Focus for just a minute on how amazingly good it is that a new relationship has been paved between us and God where we can bring our requests straight to God and we know that he will answer them. One of the great passages on prayer in the New Testament we find in Philippians chapter 4. Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, Rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this passage because the early Christians, they clung to this hope. That joy was found in Jesus. That freedom from fear and anxiety is found in this ability for us to go to the Father and we say, God, here are the things that I fear. Here are the things that I desire. Here are the things that I need. And we bring those requests. And it says, when we bring those requests, then the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard our hearts and our minds. And I don't know about you, but over the last couple of weeks, I have have struggled with anxiety. What's going to happen? to our world, what's going to happen to my family, what's going to happen to our church, what's going to happen to our, our nation. Maybe you've been the same. Maybe, maybe those anxieties have, have welled up in your own heart and mind. What I love about Philippians 4 is Paul says, here's what you do. You bring those requests to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding it guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The circumstances around might be exactly the same. We're going to wake up tomorrow and COVID-19 will still exist in our world, even though we wish we'd wake up and it was a bad dream. And yet, and yet Paul tells us because of what Jesus did, we have this great privilege to approach God in prayer and trust that he hears us and he's listening. Really, if there's one thing I hope we walk away with this morning, it is simply this. God sees you this morning and God hears you this morning as you cry out to him. If you know Jesus Christ, you can trust that he sees you and he loves you and he hears you. And what Jesus gives us in this short passage in John 16 is a few ways that we can, we can work toward praying in a way that is effective and powerful so that our prayers will be answered, so that we pray in keeping with the will of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to look at then for a few minutes this morning. How do we pray in a way that we can pray effectively? Let me offer a few principles. The first one is this. We pray in faith. We pray in faith. We pray believing. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name of the Father, he'll, he'll give to you. Now, now we're going to talk again about what specifically that means. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, that God is like a genie that gives us everything we would ever want. But as Jesus talks about prayer, and as he talks about it with his disciples over and over and over again, there is a sense in which Jesus says that when we cast all of our hope on God alone, when we pray, that God is inclined to answer our prayers. Let me show you a passage from later on in the New Testament. This is from James chapter 1. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him Ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, so James says we need to pray with faith and not with doubt. Now, wh- now what does that mean? Because I read that again and I go, well, I have a lot of doubts. I doubt that things are going to happen. I doubt sometimes that the world's going to turn out like I want. I wonder whether God will answer my prayers. But James is not saying this, that faith always precludes doubt. He's not saying faith and doubt are mutually exclusive. Instead, here's here's what he's saying. There's a type of prayer in which I say, God, will you move in my life? God, will you move in the lives of those I know? And yet I also hedge my bets. 
So James says, uh, the person who comes before God, and they say, God, I want wisdom from you. But just in case, just in case you aren't strong enough or good enough to follow through, God, I'm going to chase after wisdom from the world. I'm going to go somewhere else to try to find wisdom. Maybe if I can research enough, maybe if I can read enough articles, maybe if I can try to get control of my own life enough, then I, I really don't need you, God. But, but I'm going to hedge my bets over here and just say, God, if you can, go ahead and give me some wisdom. And James says, that's a devil-minded person. That's a person who says, I don't want to cast all of my hopes on God. You're driven and tossed by the waves like the waves of the sea. So Jesus says, if you're going to pray, if you're going to have this kind of a relationship with God, then you go all in. You cash in all your chips on the hope that God is who he says he is. That, that, that it's not bad to plan. It's not bad to have a job so you can earn money. It's not bad to hope that maybe our our national leaders will do something good in this crisis. None of that is bad stuff in and of itself. But what Jesus would say is you're going to put your hope in God. We're going to put our hope and our trust in God as we pray so that we pray in faith. Here's the issue is Jesus would say, I want you to pray with the kind of confidence that says, I believe God is powerful and good and God is ultimately our only hope for life now and for eternity. Matthew chapter seven, I love this passage. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? I think Jesus is telling a little joke here. Your son says, hey, I'm hungry. I want some bread. You go, sure, buddy. And you give him a rock. What parent does that? Or what father, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? That would be a CPS level violation. You don't do that. And then Jesus says, if you then being evil, he goes, you don't even do that. And by the way, you're, you're pretty bad people. You are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus paints the father as as a father who is in heaven and he's just waiting to lavish on us good gifts to give us life, to give us hope, to give us peace, to give us joy, even in the midst of crisis. And so Jesus says, I want you to pray with that confidence. I want you to pray with that hope that as you come before the father that's the kind of father you have jesus says prayer has an impact because of the kind of father that we have sometimes i read the bible and i go well how do i know how do i know that prayer actually has an impact how do i know that prayer matters how can i believe that prayer matters and here's here's what i always come to what confidence do i have that that prayer matters here's here's the confidence that i take i I trust that prayer matters Because Jesus believed that prayer mattered. And here's what I mean. Jesus, who who is God in the flesh, Jesus who could have done anything that he wanted, Jesus who who really never had to wonder about God's character because Jesus is God in the flesh. Even Jesus, he prayed. Jesus prayed a lot. He prayed before he made major decisions. He prayed before he would enter ministry settings. He prayed before he went to the cross. Jesus prayed all the time. When it came to prayer, Jesus was no hypocrite. Those of you who are parents, if you're really honest with yourself, you you probably would admit that sometimes you are you are a hypocrite. I don't say that to offend you, but sometimes you probably are. So you set rules for them. For example, we need to limit the amount of sweets that you eat. You get one opportunity a day to eat sweets. But as they get older, they start to understand. They go, they go but dad, you said that, and I watched you eat three cookies between 1 and 2.15, between lunch and mid-afternoon. Why do you get to do that? And you say, because I'm a grown-up, right? Those sorts of limits don't apply To me, they only apply to you. I read an article a while ago about how parents, they're really concerned about the amount of screen time that their children get on their phones or their iPads or their computers. And yet the article pointed out that that on average, parents spend more time 
on their screens and phones or computers. I probably shouldn't say this uh, because my kids are watching, but uh, parents spend more time. Uh, One expert said this, what I hear from kids as soon as they are old enough to know the word is hypocrite. Kids say, my parents are hypocrites. They say no phones at the dinner table, and then they take a call, right? So as parents, our kids don't believe us when we say being on the screen is not good for you. It's better to talk in person. When we play Minecraft eight hours a day, they don't believe it. But Jesus said, prayer matters. I want you to come before the Father and bring your requests. Prayer matters because prayer will change you to be closer to the character of the Father. And Jesus backs it up. He prays all the time because he believes in prayer. Philip Yancey uh, wrote a great book, which by the way, if you are at home and you have some extra time and are looking for a book about prayer, I would recommend this one by Philip Yancey. It's just called Prayer Does It Make Any Difference? Uh, but he said in his book, skeptics raise questions about prayer's usefulness. If God knows best, what's the point? To such questions, I have no better answer than the example of Jesus who knew above any of us the wisdom of the Father and yet who felt a strong need to flood the heavens with requests. Over and over again, the scripture tells us it matters. And here's here's where I'm going with this. When we talk about praying with with faith, we pray with faith that that, that prayer matters, that God is good, that God cares for us. And I think we're in a, a unique period of time in our history and in our church where we need a lot more prayer and a lot less anxiety. I think we need a lot more prayer, a lot more quiet moments in the presence of God where we're asking and pleading with God to work in our hearts and in the hearts of our nation to bring people to know Jesus, to to dig us deeply as a church into trust in God. I think we need a lot more of that and frankly, a lot fewer articles that we post on Facebook that lead us to fear, anxiety, worry, or argumentation. Jesus says, I want you to pray as if, as, if, as if prayer matters more than trying to get control of our lives. Because if we believe in the God we believe in, we can ask him and he can grant our requests. So we pray with faith. Jesus also tells us we pray in his name. We pray in the name of Jesus. Now I want to talk a little bit about what that means because it's often misunderstood. Praying in Jesus' name does not mean that, that we can just tag the name of Jesus on the end of anything that we want. God, I, I would like a house four times as big as the one that I have in Jesus' name. You got to do it. That's not how it works. Jesus says, you pray in Jesus' name. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Well, fundamentally, here's what it means. It means that those who are connected to Jesus Christ have a special relationship with the Father. That when you enter the throne room of God in prayer and you are connected to Jesus and you are praying according to the desires of Jesus, you are in a sense acting as a representative of Jesus Christ in the world. You are living and praying and operating by the name of Jesus. That's what it means to operate in somebody else's name. It is, I represent your interests. When I worked at Chick-fil-A, I put on a uniform that said Chick-fil-A, and I had a shirt and pants that matched everybody else's at Chick-fil-A, and everything I did behind that register or in that store, I was, I was no longer primarily a representative of Matt Morton. I was a representative of Chick-fil-A. I was reminded this week uh, of a friend of mine many years ago. It was actually a pastor that I worked with in Dallas, who every single day, he ate at the same restaurant for lunch. And I'm not exaggerating. Monday through Friday, when he was in the office, every single day, the restaurant was called Humperdinks. It was right down the road from the church. And it was just, it was, it was an okay restaurant. It was like a Chili's or something like that. But he ate there every single day so he could get to know the staff. And he did this for years, every day. And over time, he got to know the staff and he got to know even the, the, the back of house staff, the people cooking the food behind the counter. Eventually, they named a, a hamburger after him, the Super Dave. And you could go in and you could order this sandwich named after Dave because he had invested so deeply in the people at this restaurant. Now, where am I going with this? Uh, one day, I went to this restaurant with a group of about 10 people and Dave. 
And we walked in and it was lunchtime. And it was packed. I mean, the, the place was packed. And, I, and we, were, we were standing in the line. And I heard people in front of us say, I've got like four people, five people. And they go, that's going to be an hour and a half. You can sit down at 1.30 or 2. And people would leave. I mean, over and over. The wait was long. There were no tables. I walked in with Dave and these 10 people. And they saw Dave. And they go, right this way. And they took us to the back. And they found us a table for 10 people at the height of rush hour. Now, if I had gone in alone, that never would have happened. Why did they grant our request for a table so quickly? Because I was with Dave. And in fact, I would bet a hundred bucks that if I had gone ahead of Dave into the restaurant and I, would, and I had said, hey, Dave has sent me ahead to get a table. Can I have one? They would go, yes, your request is made in the name of Dave. And they'll give us a table. See, where does the power come from? The power doesn't come from some magic word. Instead, the power comes from my alignment with this person who has favor in this place. That's what Jesus says. In his commentary on the book of John, Thomas Constable says, praying in Jesus' name means coming to the Father in prayer as Jesus' representative who is doing his business. So the the prayers that Jesus is talking about, Their prayers consistent with the things that Jesus wants done in the world as representatives of Jesus. Think about the Lord's Prayer that we recited together just a few minutes ago. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We come before the Father and we say, God, I want your will to be done. I want the people that I know who don't yet know your son Jesus, I want them to know Jesus. God, I want your will to be done in in my own heart. I want to reflect the fruit of the Spirit of God. God, I, I want you to bring life to those who are lost in death, to bring hope to those who are lost in hopelessness. Those are the sort of prayers that Jesus says God answers them and is eager to answer because they're made in the name of his Son. You're representing the Son of God. So let me, just, let me just tell you a story uh, for just a few minutes this morning. An example of what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. And this is a remarkable story. And we're going to talk about it for a few minutes after I, after I share it. But I asked my, my father if I could share this story uh, with you this morning. This is, this is a, a story that happened to my dad. Uh, it was 19. 69, when, when he was in college, he was a sophomore in college, he was connected with uh, what is now called Crew, uh, used to be Campus Crusade for Christ, and he had come to Dallas for a big conference, and so there were people from all over the world also who had come for this conference, but also it's Dallas, so pretty international city, and, and very late in the evening, my dad and his roommate, they were in the hotel, I believe it was the Adolphus Hotel in Dallas, and as they were talking, after all the events of the conference had finished, another student, a young woman, came up to them, and she said, hey, do you guys know of anywhere around here where we can find a Turkish translator? Now, it's about one in the morning, so Turkish translators are fairly scarce in the hotel right at that moment. And they said, well, why do you need one? And this woman said, because there's, there's a man over here from Turkey and I want to share the gospel with him, but I don't know his language. And so we need somebody who speaks English and Turkish in order to translate. And so my dad said, I don't know. I don't know what to this day made me pray this, but I said, let's pray. He said, there were two desks in this lobby, one that ran east-west and one that ran north-south. He said, let's pray that in 10 minutes, a Turkish translator will walk up to that north-south desk. So they all go, okay. Because he, he had heard a, a message just a few minutes before this about praying specifically for the things that you, you, you want to pray for. And so they prayed, they gathered together, they said, God, in 10 minutes, let a Turkish translator come to this desk. And then, then they finished praying and my dad's roommate said, okay, let's look around for him. My dad said, I don't know what made me say this either, but I said, we have eight more minutes. So he sits down and they watch the clock. Eight minutes after they pray, a man walks up to that north-south desk. And my dad's roommate says, go, go ask him. And dad says, I'm not going to do that. Couldn't do it. So the roommate walks over and says, excuse me, do you speak Turkish? The guy goes, yeah, absolutely, I, I do. 
says, well, what are you doing in this hotel at one o'clock in the morning? He goes, well, I'm a short order cook in a, in a building a couple blocks away, and I happen to be on my way home, and uh, I saw that this place was open, never been in here before, but uh, I needed to get some change so I can buy some cigarettes before I go home. And so they said, well, we need your help. Can you help translate a conversation? The guy says, absolutely. And so somebody gets to hear the gospel because... My dad and a few other people said, we're going to pray boldly and specifically for the will of God to be done in this situation. Now, I've told that story before, and every time I do, a few people go, well, that's remarkable, but that kind of thing doesn't happen to me every day. And let me assure you, it doesn't happen to him every day. It doesn't happen to me every day. It doesn't necessarily happen to everyone Every day, And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. This is part of the mystery of God's power. Why is it that some prayers are answered in these remarkable way and ways and then others are not? But, but I tell the story to highlight this point that it's the type of prayer that God delights in answering. Because it's a prayer that says, God, I want your will to be done. I want somebody to know you who doesn't know you. God, I want your will to be done. I want people to find peace from their fear in you, even in the midst of a terrible worldwide crisis. God, God I, want, I want people's needs to be met so they can have more time to come to know you, even in the midst of this terrible crisis. God, we want the church to be a group of people that reflects the Spirit of God in this crisis. Will you empower us to do that? Jesus says, those prayers are made in my name. And that's the kind of prayer that the Father wants to answer. So he says, you pray in faith, and you pray in the name of Jesus. But the third thing I want to say this morning is this. Pray with an attitude of surrender. We pray with an attitude of surrender. And and I've uh, talked about it off and on throughout the morning, but we don't always get that type of answer to our prayer. Even as we pray with faith, even as we pray in the name of Jesus, what we do is we come before God with open hands and an open heart and we say, God, this is what I I believe I want to ask you. And I I believe as, as well as I know that it is your will for this person to know you, it is your will for this person to reflect you. But we also recognize that we are finite and we are sinful and we don't know everything. And so we come in faith and we come praying boldly in the name of Jesus, but we come with an attitude of surrender. And we say, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what I want, but not my will. Your will be done. As we look throughout the scripture, I want briefly just to to highlight a few reasons why our prayers sometimes are not answered. But we're ultimately going to say, we don't know all of the reasons But let me offer a few reasons why prayers are not always answered. Why do prayers go sometimes unanswered? Let me me share with you from the scripture just a few reasons. One is this, unrepentant sin. That it may be I come before God and I'm I'm asking for things and and I'm trying to ask with faith and I'm trying to ask in the name of Jesus. But the truth is that my own heart is rebellious against God and there are sins in my life, not only that I am committing, but that I am unwilling to repent of and let go of. And so I knowingly come into the presence of God while also willfully and knowingly disobeying him. And as you read throughout the scripture, it's clear. That God says unrepentant sin can disrupt our fellowship with God and prevent our prayers from being answered. Let me show you a couple of passages. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Isaiah, speaking for God, he tells the people of Israel, you come before me in prayer, and yet your hands are covered in blood. You mistreat the vulnerable. You mistreat the poor. You don't treat my people like I've called you to treat my people. And so as they cry out for justice, 
You don't give them what they need. And so as you cry out for your desires, I'm not inclined to answer. In the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 3, this one is deeply convicting for husbands. You husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. I'm not going to explain that part this morning. But he goes on and he says, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. He says the way we treat our wives, those closest to us, affects our prayer life. So sometimes prayers are unanswered because of unrepentant sin in our lives. Sometimes prayers are unanswered simply because they're selfish. Simply because we're praying for those things that that fulfill our own desires without, as we've talked about, thinking about the will of God or taking into account the will of God. James chapter 4 says you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. It's it's not that, that God is opposed to giving us good things, even good material things. But the scripture seems to indicate if if my primary motive is I come before God and I say, God, my primary motive is you make me wealthier. God, you make me more powerful. God, you make me happier in these ways that I want to be happier. If my primary goal in prayer is me, then I'm not praying in the name of Jesus, casting all my hope on God, trusting in him. I remember uh, in college ministry, years ago, which, which by the way, uh, this morning is a bit of deja vu for me because this is the stage I used to speak on as the college pastor. And I remember one morning after I spoke on this stage, a student came up to me and he said, I have an honest question I want to ask you about prayer. And I said, sure. And he said, is it okay for me to fervently ask God to give me a really pretty wife? And I remember we sat there and, and, and we, we talked about it for a few minutes. And I said, well, what do you think? And he goes, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and I, I, I want that, but I don't know. And I said, well, well let, let's think about it for a minute. Now, now, fundamentally, that's not a bad thing to want, right? But it's also probably something you're going to seek out on your own anyway. But, but also, fundamentally, what is it? It's a request about you, about you wanting her to look externally a certain way for you. And I said, well, what if you prayed a little bit differently? What if you said, God, place me in the frame of mind and, and in the, give me the type of character that would make me a good husband one day? What if, you, what if you were to pray, God, I want to reflect the fruit of the Spirit so that the sort of woman that I attract is a woman who is also reflecting the fruit of the Spirit so that together one day we might have a marriage that honors Jesus Christ and reflects his love. What if you began to pray for that type of character regardless of whether you even get married? And he says, yeah, I guess that'd be a better prayer. Right? And ultimately the scripture says it's, it's not that God doesn't care about your desires because he does. It's that, that what he desires more is that that you and I reflect him. What he desires more is the joy that we will have when we're transformed into his image and we'll know him in a deep way. So James says, sometimes your prayers might not be answered because you ask with wrong motives. You ask for selfish things. But then there's another reason, and this one's the hardest. God's mysterious will. That's my fancy way of saying sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we don't know. It may be that the person that we're praying for is resisting the movement of the Spirit. And so God is not going to force himself into their their life and into their heart at that moment. Or it may be, it's likely, God knows things we don't. That there are things about the world, about God's timing, about what he's doing in the world that we don't understand because we're finite and he is infinite because our knowledge is limited and his is unlimited. And so we pray with faith and we pray boldly in Jesus' name, but we recognize that God knows how and when to answer our requests so much better than we do. So so sometimes our prayers are not answered even when we're doing everything right. Just because a prayer is not answered doesn't mean that you lacked enough faith 
Just because a prayer is not answered doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing something wrong or praying for something wrong. It may just be that God is doing something at this moment we don't understand. But here's the remarkable thing as I read the scripture is we bump up against that, that perceived no from God. We bump up against that and our instinct is to say, then I'm just going to stop asking. And over time, we might get discouraged and we say, you know what, this is an argument against prayer. Here's the remarkable thing. As I read the Bible, in fact, Jesus tells us that's not an argument against prayer. That's an argument to keep praying more and more. And I love this. As you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, for example, Paul says, I want you to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that every moment of your day, you walk through the day in in open prayer all the time. Instead, without ceasing, he means don't stop. Don't give up. Don't give up this habit of coming before God to ask for your request. Now, I find that remarkable because Paul tells us uh, elsewhere that he had a request. He says, I had a thorn in my flesh that I I desperately asked the Lord to take away. And I I asked him three times. And eventually the Lord says, no, no, I'm not going to take it away. Why? Because my grace is sufficient for you because my power is manifest in your weakness. So Paul knows what it's like to hear no. And yet he says a no is not a reason to stop. You keep praying without ceasing. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told a parable about, about a widow who had a request and she comes to this judge and this judge, is, he's, he's a bad judge. He's unrighteous. He doesn't give justice to the poor. And he's not inclined to listen to her. But she keeps coming and she keeps coming and she keeps coming. And Jesus says, because she kept pestering him, he finally gives in. He finally gives in to her request. And Jesus doesn't tell that story to say that God is like that. Instead, he tells that story to say God is just the opposite. In other words, if even the unrighteous guy will answer her request when she's persistent, how much more will a good and gracious and merciful and holy God be inclined to listen? So that Luke 18, he says he told them, it says he told them that parable. Why? To show this, that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So how the scripture approaches prayer is that we pray faithfully, we pray boldly, we pray specifically, we pray in the name of Jesus, and then we keep praying. Even when the answer seems like no. Even when the situation seems dark and hopeless. Even when we've prayed for a family member or a friend to know Jesus for decades, and they don't yet. Jesus would say, keep praying. Keep wrestling. Because we know the kind of God that we serve. And we know that that in the final analysis, we'll, we'll one day, as we gather around his throne room and praise him forever and ever, we will one day say, God, all your plans are good. And now we understand in a way we didn't before. We're not ever gonna understand everything. But we will have a rock solid confidence that God's plan is good. As we close, then let me offer a few practical ideas. If you're, if you're struggling with how do I pray and, and what do I do in prayer, let me offer a few very practical thoughts. First one is this. One, just show up. It may be that you're, you're in, in a season of life or in a place in your, in your spiritual walk where maybe you really don't have much of a prayer life. And maybe you just need to start somewhere and you just need to say, God, I'm going to give it five minutes and you sit quietly and, you, and you, you work to pray and you struggle with what to say and you give it five minutes and then the next day you give it five minutes and you just show up. And over time you learn in a deeper way how to pray and then maybe five minutes moves to 10 and 10 minutes moves to 15 and so on. You just show up. It's the same thing we tell our kids when it comes to practicing for a sport or a skill or anything like that. We tell them showing up is about what? 80% of the battle. And I really believe with prayer, that's often true. Just show up. Find a place, find a time where you say, God, I'm going to devote this to prayer. Secondly, I'd encourage you, follow some kind of a pattern. Some of you are familiar with the the old ACTS pattern, A-C-T-S, adoration. Uh, You begin by praising God for who he is. 
confession, you bring before him those sins that you're aware of and you confess and you ask for forgiveness to restore your fellowship with God. Thanksgiving, you say, God, thank you for all that you've given me in Jesus Christ. Thank you for extending forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Thank you for the good things you've given me because I know you're a good God who wants to give your people good gifts. And then supplication. You say, God, these are the things on my heart and my mind for myself, for my family, for my friends, for my church, for my world. And you, you begin to bring these requests before God. Another pattern you can follow is very simply to track with the Lord's Prayer. And look at the categories of prayer in the Lord's Prayer that we prayed together earlier. A pattern helps for me to focus my mind, not so that my prayer is rote or real regimented, but just to focus my mind and focus my heart. And then lastly, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep showing up. Keep wrestling. Keep striving. Trusting that we serve a good God who loves to give good gifts to his people. Again, I think we're in a, in a period of time where we, we need to be a praying people because God has called us to represent him in the darkness where this world is today. And we carry the only real light that can offer hope. And so, so will we be the people of prayer and faith and boldness that God is calling us to be this week, this month, this year? I'm going to close us in prayer and then our band is going to come up and lead us in worship. Father, we're so thankful. We're thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior. That because he died for us and rose again, we know that we have access to bring our prayers straight to you. And so we pray that we would. That we would boldly ask you to do those things that only you can do. Father, we pray that even in the midst of the crisis our world is facing, especially in the midst of the crisis our world is facing, that that people would, would come in great numbers before you to ask forgiveness and life in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask that we would be faithful vessels of your goodness and your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.